Welcome to Rise Regardless, a podcast featuring the trials and triumphs of resilient individuals. I'm your host, Patrice Chan, and I'm so excited to introduce to you our featured guest, Natalie Riso. Natalie is a three-time LinkedIn top voice, content marketing strategist, and founder of Impact Mentality. Natalie graduated from USC in 2018 as the number one most followed student on LinkedIn, with currently over 410,000 followers, and continues to create content on Gen Z, female entrepreneurship, social impact, and corporate culture. In addition to creating content on LinkedIn and running social strategy, she started Impact Mentality, an event series and online community at the intersection of social impact entrepreneurship, and marketing. Natalie has also consulted for academics and professionals on personal branding, served as a pitching coach for tech startups, and has been featured in Adweek, Variety, and many more. All right, Natalie Riso, thank you so much for being on the Rise Regardless podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So we first met through LinkedIn and had the chance to connect offline in person more recently here in Vancouver. And we had a really interesting conversation about your beginnings on social media and your experience in college. And one thing you brought up that was really fascinating was when somebody asked you, why didn't you drop out of college? So would you mind sharing a little bit about your rationale behind it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was something that I had never really thought about before. Um, And I'm somebody who comes from a family where both my parents went to college. College was something that was very expected of me. I went to a private high school. Um, So, you know, there definitely was sort of that aspect of it. But I also loved learning and I loved being in the classroom. And so when I started to go to college and I started to take a lot of these entrepreneurship classes, I started to meet people both in my school and outside of my school who were starting businesses and the people who had also dropped out um, tended to ask those questions of like, well, why, why are you staying in school? Like what value does school bring you that you can't learn outside of school? Um, and it, it didn't really escalate until actually I had graduated um, and somebody was like, defend your college degree. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Um, and it, it made me really kind of dive deep into it. But I think overarching what I really found, you know, when I was in college and when I was questioned about that was that I genuinely love learning and I love the mixing of different learning styles. So you can learn from doing, you can learn from a book, you can learn from a teacher, you can learn from all these different sources. And I'm somebody who's really passionate about kind of the mixture of all of them. So when I was in college, I was taking extra classes at General Assembly. I was going to meetups every single week. I had mentors. I worked really closely with a lot of my professors to kind of zone in on different areas that I was passionate about in different classes. Um, And so I think for me, um, what was interesting was everybody was like, why did you drop out? And I never even viewed dropping out really as an option, Um, not only because, you know, it was something that was expected of me, but then when I looked back on it, it really was because I felt like I was learning my best sort of with the mix of both in classroom and out of classroom work. 
And that's something I think, too, in sort of today's climate, we don't necessarily get to hear that side a lot. Um, we tend to hear a lot of, you know, drop out of college, start your business, very, like, Gary Vaynerchuk mentality. <laughs> For sure. Um, you know, um, and I'm sure you've heard it, heard it as well. Um, but it's something where I think that a lot of people do actually learn really well in the classroom, and those voices aren't necessarily what's provocative on social media, um, but definitely people should feel proud of the college degrees that they get, and that's something that I've, you know, kind of grown to be very proud of myself. Mm-hmm, for sure. Learning can take place in so many different ways. And I know for you, you were super active throughout college and you were starting your own business. You were volunteering. You're doing so many different things. Would you be able to give a little bit of context to our listeners about that? Yeah, absolutely. So there was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there was, um, so when I first started college, I went to a college called UC Irvine, um, which is down in Orange County for people who don't know where that is. It's just south of LA. Um, and so when I first started going to college, I actually wasn't super involved, um, but I struggled a lot from social anxiety. So I forced myself to drive up to LA every single week and go to meetups wow. at the General Assembly in Santa Monica. And that was really sort of my first kind of taste in terms of like really working hard for what you wanted to have Um, because people aren't necessarily going to know this if they don't live in LA, but um, (laughs) when you drive from Orange County to LA, especially if it's say it's 5 p.m., that's a two to two and a half hour drive (laughs) um, one way. Yeah. It's wild. Um, So it was definitely a trek up to Los Angeles. Um, So once I um, actually transitioned from UC Irvine halfway through my sophomore year to USC, I had already gotten a position um, at a tech incubator there as their VP of marketing um, because I had a student ID number, um, even though I was not technically in the school. So I started working um, already at USC. um, So I was at the Hacker House, um, and then I also was a campus editor. I was one of the first campus editors for LinkedIn, um, where basically I was meeting with students every single week. On top of that, I had my normal internships, so I had, uh, I want to say, like, six or seven internships throughout Mm -hmm. college um, at different entertainment companies, mostly here in L.A., Um, and then I also did U.S.-China journalism um, my last I want to say a year and a half of college. And then on top of that, I did my own LinkedIn influencer work and events. So it was a lot of stuff. And then I was a full-time student as well. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's that's just so much. And I wonder how you were able to balance all of it, um, being a student, a new entrepreneur, working for LinkedIn, doing a bunch of different internships as well. How did it all play out? Yeah, I mean, I think it was definitely trial and error. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it was something that initially I was perfect at. Um, I also, and I've been very candid about this, of it was something where it definitely took a toll on my mental health. And working that much, I realized you do have to have downtime. You can't just work all the time, even even if you're passionate about it, right? So like I was passionate about all those things, but if I didn't have, you know, that hour of YouTube a day, I was going to actually lose my mind. Um, so I think the main thing for me was I had to, first of all, um, when this happened especially sort of halfway through my junior year. Um, I was working at the USC Hacker House, the tech incubator. I was being co-president of it. And I was also doing US China journalism. I was also doing LinkedIn stuff. And there came a point when I was like, these are all really segmented. And I feel like I'm holding on to one 
out of obligation, but not because it aligns with like my long-term goals. Right. And so that's when I actually chose to left the leave the USC Hacker House um, and continue on with US China journalism because um, I did it mostly on the entertainment sector and that made sense. I had had entertainment um, internships. I was looking to go into entertainment um, and the USC Hacker House, although it was super fun for me, it didn't make a lot of sense. Um, so I think there was some hard choices made along the way of is this absolutely sort of necessary or is this really something that adds value to me? Um, and then kind of going on from there, um, school was always a priority, but I think too, it was okay if I didn't get an A, I was fine with getting B's as long as I was able to supplement my learning really well. Um, so also kind of understanding like what's absolutely necessary for me, um, to sort of be happy and what's kind of a want, um, and figuring out sort of my priorities and my schedule that way. Mm -hmm, For sure. And that really stands out to me when you mentioned being able to isolate what is of what is a valuable experience for you as opposed to something that's just supplemental or that you can do it, but it's not absolutely necessary. And so I know that entrepreneurship more recently has been quite a buzzword. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur or start up their own business. So how did that influence you in your decision making when you were working with the um, hacking community? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, <laughs> I remember I asked a question on Gary Vee's show when I was heading up the USC Hacker House, and people thought it was so cool that I got shouted out. And, um, there definitely was like this whole buzz around being an entrepreneur, especially the college dropout entrepreneur. Like that became super popular. Um, I think it was in my high school years that the social network had come out. And so I was going into college with sort of the buzz of like Mark Zuckerberg and those types of players. Um, I think that that was something entrepreneurship was something that I knew I was kind of inclined towards, but I actually never really viewed myself as a strictly like quote unquote entrepreneur. Um, I think because I actually kind of rejected how popular it was. Um, there was a piece of me that saw a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in college, um, who had these huge egos and they thought they had to have huge egos to be an entrepreneur because that's what they saw in the media. They saw these like larger than life personalities and a lot of them were, you know, strictly speaking, like white dudes um, who were hyper masculine and there was definitely like this persona that was super popular in social social media um, and popular culture overall um, that I didn't necessarily prescribed to. Um, That being said, I love the idea of starting, you know, new efficiencies, new innovations, and I wanted to be a part of it. But there came a point for me when um, the idea of calling myself an entrepreneur, putting entrepreneur on my Instagram bio, I was like, everyone's an entrepreneur these days. Like you can, Mm -hmm. your own Instagram page is a form of entrepreneurship, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, So I think for me, it was something where I wanted to be a part of it, but I never really called myself strictly like an entrepreneur because I actually kind of rejected sort of the hype around what being an entrepreneur meant. Right. And that's a really bold move. And it's a difficult move to make, especially with all these societal pressures and everybody's telling you what's the right path to take. So what kind of support systems did you have guiding you along the way, if any? Yeah. So, I mean, I know this is really cliche, but my mom's like a huge support system. (laughs) I love it. she she's like such a boss woman I think she's so cool she um when I was in middle school she went back to the workforce she was a stay-at-home mom for a long time um started as a coordinator and is now a CFO of a Christian nonprofit. 
um, and sort of worked her way up the ranks and everything. But she's somebody who I really confide in, and I she leads through what she calls humbled confidence. Um, and she always tries to instill this in me. Uh, and it kind of goes back to that entrepreneur thing of I saw a lot of kids who had these huge egos and were saying that you had to have these huge egos in order to be successful. Um, and she was like, that is not true. <laughs> you, you can walk in knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are and knowing that you can knock the ball you know, out of the park on a certain project, but you do not need to come in with an ego. You can come in with a humble confidence about it. Um, and I think that she's been really pivotal in sort of how I've viewed myself as a businesswoman, um, but also in terms of the decisions that I've made to not necessarily get too hasty into certain things um, and still take risks. Like she's somebody who definitely has pushed me to take certain risks. Um, but I think that she's somebody, you know, that humble confidence is something that I really kind of learned from her. And then I, most of my friends in college were actually journalists. Um, which I think surprises people. I think a lot of people think that all of my best friends are like entrepreneurs, which nowadays <laughs> is a little true. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that back then uh, in college, I loved hanging out with journalists because they were so passionate about what other people were going through. Um, and it always kind of shifted the focus away from, I want to start a business so that I can become popular, so that I can you know, have clout on social media. And more about if you're going to start a business, if you're going to start an initiative or profit, or a project, it really has to go for those people that you're serving. Um, and what problems are they having? What it, What is it like to live a day in their shoes? Um, so I think sort of the combination between sort of having this awesome role model of a mom, but also these friends around me who are always focused on talking about other people really sort of riled me in from sort of getting into the hype of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm, for sure. So uh, support systems are definitely an integral part of our growth. And I know that you mentioned more recently you've been hanging out with a lot of entrepreneurs. So how did that come about and where does that bring you to the present day? Yeah, I, for some reason, I, you know, whether it be just sort of circumstance or not, um, a lot of entrepreneurs are now my best friends. Um, and that's not something that I thought was going to happen. Like I said, I hung out with mostly like journalism people in college. Um, so then when I got out of college and really sort of my last semester in college, I started doing more LinkedIn events around sort of my own content and my own influence on the platform, but also collaborating with others and certain issues. Um, and I met a bunch of people who were creating content around sort of corporate culture and these things that I was really passionate about on LinkedIn um, and sort of spiderwebbing from there um, kind of met more, you know, I call them these like little entrepreneurial crews uh, in different areas. One area is Vancouver. <laughs> I actually got to meet you. Um, but I think that that kind of spidered from just sort of social media and seeing what everybody was doing. Um, and really, a lot of my best friends really came together through this idea around like social media and social impact. Um, and that's kind of what led to Impact Mentality, which now I head up uh, an event series sort of at the intersection of entrepreneurship, marketing, and social impact. Um, but a lot of them sort of came together for you know, the first iterations of it. And we're like, you know, we we're young, we're entrepreneurs, but we also don't want um, people to think that we're just doing this for ourselves. Like we would love to kind of garner the influence of the social media knowledge that we have just sort of from our own experiences and use it for the greater good. Um, and so that's where I think I've started to meet a lot of young entrepreneurs is around sort of 
those kinds of concepts. And I found that there's actually a huge population of young entrepreneurs who are really passionate about it, but don't necessarily voice um, voice kind of their passions a lot or sometimes get drowned out from the other noise because it tends to be um, sort of the space online that a lot of people, like I said, kind of really like the hyper-masculine, like, you know, I'm, I work harder than you, therefore I'm better than you mentality. Um, but hopefully that's starting to change. I think that, you know, especially with initiatives like Impact Mentality and a couple others, um, you're starting to see a lot more young entrepreneurs who are really passionate about it who are able to kind of cut through the noise. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And you highlighted social media quite a few times, and we're just so privileged to live in an era where social media is so prevalent and accessible for the most part. So how did you first become super involved on the platform of LinkedIn? I know you were a campus editor, but then afterwards you started building your own brand and creating content. How did that come about? Yeah, so that's not something that I think I set out to do necessarily. <laughs> um, I don't think anybody like looks on LinkedIn as like, I'm going to be a LinkedIn influencer. Like, yeah. that's not a thing. <laughs> um, so originally it started actually from an internship. I was ghostwriting for the CEO um, as an intern. Uh, and it was one of my first internships. I was young. Um, and the articles that the CEO rejected, I was able to still get edited by some of our editors and publish on my own LinkedIn. Um, and it really, it was just kind of like a, Hey, publish us on your LinkedIn, like see what happens, you know, like no one really thought I was going to go anywhere. Um, and then one of my articles went viral for what viral was at the time. This was back in, I think this was 2016, 2015, 2016, um, which makes me sound very old, but um, <laughs> not at all. It happened. It happened a couple of years ago. Um, but basically, the millennials editor at the time, uh, Maya Pope Chappelle, who was heading up the campus editor program, um, reached out to me, and she was like, "Hey, would you want to be a campus editor?" I had no idea what that was, and she was like, "So neither does anybody, because um, this is the pilot program, basically." Um, and so I was one of LinkedIn's first campus editors, and part of that was continuing to write content and edit other students' content. Um, so that kind of got me on a steady flow of content where I was consistently putting out stuff. Um, but it wasn't really um, until I want to say like last year or two years ago. Um, when people started to write more posts and then I think it was two years ago now, um, video was released on the platform and that's when LinkedIn kind of blew up as this personal branding platform and people started to really listen in on, you know, how can we utilize this to sell stuff and how can we utilize this to get speaking gigs and whatnot. And that's when sort of the LinkedIn influence went crazy. Um, so in 2015, I only had like, maybe 5,000 followers. Um, and then in 2017, when video was released, um, I ended up the year 20, 2017? Yeah, at the end of 2017, I ended up the year with 200,000 followers. And then 2018, 400,000 followers. Amazing. So, like, it definitely ramped up uh, when it came to, like, how people were viewing the platform and interacting with it. Mm-hmm. And there must have been so many struggles kind of getting started on the platform as well. And you alluded to it earlier about hypermasculinity in terms of dominance in society, be it entrepreneurship and other areas. How did you overcome that? What part of it propelled you and allowed you to overcome these societal norms? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting. One of the first articles that went viral was literally me talking about how I struggled to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> Yeah, it was, but that's why 
talked about having social anxiety at networking events and how I just had to go to so many networking events to get over my social anxiety. Um, and it was painful, but ultimately it worked. Um, and I think that for people, and you see this even in media now and how we're having more diverse um, films, how we're having more diverse TV shows, people want to see themselves um, in whatever sort of media that they have. Obviously, you're going to follow people that don't necessarily look like you or um, don't necessarily identify the same ways that you do. But there is something really captivating about this idea of empathy. Like if people can empathize with you, they're more drawn to follow you. And especially if you're somebody where they are able to follow your progression, it kind of makes them feel like they're following the journey with you. So when you have successes, they feel like they're having successes. Um, and I've seen this even with the people that I follow, right? Um, so there are certain, you know, different business people um, where when they give, you know, these momentous talks, like I get excited for them almost, like Simon Sinek is somebody who I follow and I love, mm -hmm. um, and every time I watch his TED Talks, I'm like, oh, this is so cool to watch him have this sort of success, when he talks about things, I'm like, I feel that, um, like hashtag mood is like <laughs> actually such an important part of marketing, um, and so I think for me, I did not fit necessarily like this stereotype of like what an entrepreneur looked like or what, um, you know, a successful person in entertainment even looked like. Um, but at the same time, I still was able to speak the language of it. So like I worked at a tech incubator. I understood how to talk to engineers. I understood how to talk to entrepreneurs. I knew all the lingo. Um, but then there was a huge population of people who I think saw my content and they were like, you know how to talk like all of them, but you also are able to kind of voice that other side um, that isn't necessarily as represented. Um, and you see this a lot with LinkedIn content now where people talking about their failures actually does really well, um, which a lot of business people don't want to talk about because they're like, why on earth would I like talk about the things that I failed at? I should only be talking about my successes. Right. Um, <laughs> But when you only talk about your successes, you're so unrelatable. Like, no one is successful all the time. <laughs> um, and so I think that that's where I was able to kind of cut through the noise is say, you know, I'm struggling in these certain areas or I found this to be kind of strange. I remember one of my really popular posts that I didn't expect to be popular. Um, I was at a conference. And I sat in on a talk about Gen Z and I made this post. And I was like, you know, it was kind of weird being the only Gen Z person in the room on a <laughs> talk about Gen Z. Um, <laughs> For sure. And, you know, and I think it was something where then two people from other generations not necessarily that they were Gen Z, but they had been in a similar situation where they were the only person of their identity in the room were commenting and they were like, I know how you feel. Um, and I think that that's where for people who don't necessarily fit that stereotype, understanding that your differentiating factors are actually your points of empathy, you're able to really sort of dial that in and kind of create community around those different aspects. Mm -hmm. And empathy is something that's huge that we all need to integrate into our daily lives. And I know that's something that really resonates with you, but not only with your personal values, but also the work that you're doing right now with um, Impact Mentality, for example, your conference that you recently had, and even your work at Studio 71 building a team right now. Would you be able to tell everybody a little bit more about both of those? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Impact Mentality, you're right, we just had one of our big conferences in San Francisco last month. Um, the idea with Impact Mentality is really to sort of create a space, um, a community and thought leadership around mental health and social impact, um, sort of intersecting with marketing and entrepreneurship. So this past um, conference that we had really zoned in on this idea of mental health and we're finding that mental health is something that's really resonating with people especially within our community and we want to do more events around it um, but the idea with it really came from um, I was talking a lot about mental health on the platforms that was one part of sort of the empathy aspect that I kind of played into with a lot of my LinkedIn content was talking about my own mental health um, I noticed whenever we talked about mental health and entrepreneurship, like it was just kind of like case studies on headspace. Um, and there wasn't a lot of talk around like, how can you do, um, or how can you have like mental resilience as an entrepreneur? Um, entrepreneurs are way more likely to have mental illnesses than other occupations. Um, they're actually one of the most at risk occupations for mental illness. Um, and it's understandable why people take on so much risk. Um, and you basically put your life, um, kind of on hold for whatever project you're trying to go for. Um, so we, there wasn't a lot of like actionable, um, items that I found that we could do or experts talking about it. Um, so I wanted to create a space for that um, at our San Francisco event, but I also wanted to create a space where, like, say you aren't an entrepreneur, like, how do you bring up, like, mental health with your boss? Like, how do you actually integrate it into corporate culture? Because um, that's something that I thought was really underserved. Um, I work at a company. <laughs> I work at Studio 71, and like you said, I'm building out a team right now um, where we're basically um, – so to give kind of background to my job, I sort of head up all of our B2B content, both on social and editorial. Um, and so right now I'm working on building a team of content creators um, to sort of help build all of that out and work with every single department here and whatnot. And we're really ramping up. Um, and even in building that team, I'm like, how do I make sure I build this in such a way where, you know, the people who maybe report to me can talk about these things, can talk about, you know, social impact and mental health and whatnot. And so um, that's where kind of the two bleed over is Impact Mentality, although completely separate in its entity from Studio 71, is sort of the event series to talk about these types of issues. So it's mostly in San Francisco and L.A., um, although we're thinking of a couple of other cities as well. Um, and then Studio 71, I'm really sort of working on building out that team, like I said, and building out solutions that are scalable so that we're able to be, you know, at every major marketing conference or have some sort of presence there um, and really utilize sort of the, the assets that we have at Studio 71 so that more people know about it. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I really admire that work that you're doing right now with both respects. And I find it must be quite difficult to be able to integrate all of this mental health into the traditional corporate cultural environment where people are less willing to um, even acknowledge failure and acknowledge that they perhaps need some more time to themselves, for example. And so with that being said, I know that there are challenges that lay over one another and there isn't always just one single struggle. So with the work you're currently doing and perhaps even the addition of like personal life and things like that what other challenges do you face at the same time yeah I mean I think that even just balancing those two I thought when I graduated from college I was gonna be done with balancing all my little things and then I <laughs> got out and was like nope it's still there um, 
so I think even balancing a lot of it, um, and I, I think once I got out of college, um, this idea of like, I thought that everybody worked nine to five, five days a week. Like I thought that that's what life was going to be like. And that's not, um, I work seven days a week. Mm -hmm. I cover social seven days a week for studio 71. Mm Um, in fact, mentality, I do basically outside of the nine to, um, eight PM, five days a week that I make sure that I solely work on studio 71. Um, so I think that even just balancing that, you know, is definitely kind of compounds. Um, and then there's like basic stuff. So I, um, you know, have definitely had to work on my sleep schedule. I've had to work on morning routines and night routines. And I get it now. Like I get all those Pinterest posts now (laughs) Um, where in college, I feel like, you know, I could roll out of bed at 9am, run to class, you know, grab a burrito and be fine. Like it wasn't really going to affect me. And now there's so many people who are dependent on me that structure is really important. So recently I've been trying to nail down nighttime routine where I make sure that I have at least half an hour without any screens, um, that I'm just reading the book and that I'm taking classes online to make sure that I feel like I'm learning something every single day. Um, so I think there's even smaller things that I'm trying to sort of incorporate, um, where I'm able to sort of, um, allocate my time in such a way where I feel content in multiple areas of my life um and that sort of nighttime routine and morning routines as well definitely play a role in terms of mental health um and kind of feeling as though there's some sense of stability especially since both impact mentality and studio 71 are very fluid jobs so like you know if, if some something happens on twitter that's going to be my day for the whole day <laughs> of studio 71 um you just never know socials are like that um and so it's integrating some sense of routine and stability has been one way where sort of all the different struggles are able to at least feel a little bit lessened. Um, Because sometimes it's not necessarily that you can fix everything at once, but you kind of need to have moments where you can step back and say, you know, once again, like what's absolutely necessary and what's kind of a want Um, and sort of figuring that out. So I have what I call gisting time, which I got from this one YouTuber, um, but spelled G-Y-S-T, get your stuff together. Um, (laughs) And I have gisting time every morning where it's just like, okay, what, what's on the docket? What, let's like project manage my life a little bit. <laughs> um, and then we can kind of go from there. So I would say that. Um, and then also just like making sure I'm eating healthy, making sure my body's good. Um, cause if my body's good. I perform way better. So those are kind of some of the ways that with those compounding struggles, I'm, I'm trying to necessarily, um, or I'm trying to kind of stabilize certain aspects of that and take a step back. Right. Just making time for yourself, too, is just so important. And I love that mention of having work-life balance or just even a balance overall. And it, it's funny because it reminds me of our conversation that we had where you mentioned that people in Vancouver seem to have a life-life balance. So it's, <laughs> it's good to see that kind of balance of the hustle um, and the ambition along with everything that you want to do and complete in your day-to-day. So in terms of these compounding challenges and working on the progress towards your future and uh, combating those potential obstacles for the future, what are you doing to help yourself be able to balance that as well? Yeah, so I think, you know, the gisting is a huge portion of it um, Mm -hmm. because that kind of helps with um, making 
making sure that I get everything I want to get done in a day. Um, I think, you know, going forward, um, like I said, my jobs are very like fluid, like they kind of change all the time. Um, you know, maybe there's one department that wants a new article and then that's a whole new project. And it's not necessarily something that has kind of this strict rigorous, okay, step one, step two, step three. Um, and so I think because of that, my goals like long-term are fluid as well. Although I know that there's certain milestones that I want to hit. Um, and I always kind of keep those on sort of this like, goals board that I have, um, in my room. Um, and that way I kind of am able to sit back. Um, and I do this on Sundays. Um, I'm able to sit back and look at those goals and say, okay, so how does what I'm doing my day to day, what on the micro level is helping for that macro level? Um, so I think that really helps me prioritize. Um, because at the end of the day, I'm kind of at the point where like, there's no possible way that for all the different things that I'm doing, I'm going to be able to do everything. Like there's just not enough time in the week. Um, so really it becomes like a prioritizing issue. Um, so like one of my goals is to do a certain number of collaborations with people by the end of the year. That's something that I know sort of mental health wise, it definitely helps me when I work with other people. I'm somebody who likes to work with other people. Um, it also helps in terms of my personal content, my personal um, growth uh, sort of on different platforms. Um, so I kind of look at that and I go, you know, I haven't done a collaboration in a while. Maybe that's something I need to prioritize this week. Um, and kind of being open to that. Um, I think that takes though a lot of self-awareness and mm-hmm. self-awareness takes time. Um, I, I used to hear that word all the time, especially when we were talking about like the hype of entrepreneurship. Um, used to hear that word all the time, Gary Vaynerchuk would be like, you have to be self-aware. And I thought you could like force that. <laughs> and I was like, I will, I will be self-aware, you know? Um, self-awareness also comes from like just failing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, And I tell one of my friends this all the time because one of my friends really struggles with executing because they're always so concerned about making sure that it's like the right thing before they do it. And I was like, sometimes though you find out a lot about yourself when you just go for it and fail. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, you know, also allowing myself to fail um, is something that I've worked on. Um, because I think I've constantly, I used to have this fear that I wasn't progressing enough, that I wasn't progressing fast enough, that I wasn't hitting certain goals fast enough. Um, and kind of, I guess with time, I've realized like some of that just happens to be, you have to fail first and then you can try again and then you'll do it the right way, but you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, so I purposely keep my goals a little bit fluid, um, but have sort of these pillars every sort of month or so to work towards. Um, and then if I fail, we'll learn next month to maybe change it. But, um, you know, definitely keeping that fluid and accepting that it's going to be fluid. Um, cause I'm somebody who likes to have everything very scheduled. Um, has been something where it kind of helps me deal with all of those um, different sort of struggles that are compounding, um, but also allows me to align sort of what I'm doing right now on the micro level with what I want to be doing on the macro level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important to be able to have that sort of framework, that loose framework and structure for yourself, but then give yourself that flexibility where if it doesn't actually work out this week, then you won't beat yourself up about it. And you have that room to grow and learn from your mistakes as well. 
So in terms of, yeah, so in terms of your trajectory and where you hope to go or see yourself in the next couple of years, maybe in the next couple of days or months, what do you think that is? In the next couple of days, uh, I hope I'm more hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. No, um, <laughs> I think, you know, definitely in the next couple of months, we're working on building out the team, um, building out more of a structure for impact mentality. I think impact mentality will probably always be something that's a bit of a side side hustle for me. Um, as passionate as I am about it, I just don't think there's a product market fit slash need um, for something more than what we're currently doing. So definitely wanting to host more events and really create great activations around it. So I think, you know, one of the pros of working in a company is you're able to have all these different resources and work with all these different types of people and there's structure and all that stuff. Um, But one of the biggest differences between sort of working at a big company and we have your own thing is when you have your own thing, you got to push yourself to do things that people haven't done before. Um, and you do that at a company to a certain extent, but there's more sort of bureaucracy around it and there's more, you know, processes and stuff like that. Um, but I think with the mentality, you know, me and sort of the rest of the team are really trying to push ourselves to say like, okay, what hasn't been done before? What What's a need that we can fulfill in a really unique way? So we're kind of working towards that and seeing if there's sort of innovative things that we can do there. Um, and then in terms of sort of longer term, um, you know, definitely still growing um, within marketing uh, and, you know, maybe not so much specifically with socials, but I think with content marketing as a whole, um, that's something where, you know, if we're able to incorporate, a lot of our campaigns actually here at Studio 71 are social impact focused when it comes to our talent. Um, so right now we're about to launch our Women's uh, History Month campaign with a, with a couple of our creators. And I think, you know, kind of going off of that, finding ways to do social impact, um, you know, incorporating that into marketing and events and what have you, but doing it in such a way that you're able to really amplify that impact, both, you know, and how somebody feels when they leave the event, but also like what money was generated from the event that can go back towards certain causes, you know, maybe it's an activation where you build something or you go and you fix up something, um, trying to sort of really figure that out over the next couple of years, I think, um, and how we can do that better and more innovatively. Um, that's something that's a very you know personal goal of mine, but I think that what I've found is that's one of the most rewarding things that I currently do that I would love to do more of. So that's kind of the different avenues that I'm trying to grow in. Um, And then I think too, kind of on a personal level, um, having that morning routine and night routine. And um, I'm such a workaholic that I think also kind of on a personal level, finding that time throughout the week to just sort of, um, not do nothing, but do something that's not work-related is uh, something that I'm still kind of working towards. So I'd love to kind of have that finalized in the next couple of months. Right. That's so amazing. And I'm sure everybody would love to keep up to date with the work you're doing, Impact Mentality, for sure. How can people connect with you or follow you on social media, for example? Yeah. So Impact Mentality, you can follow. Um, our website is impactmentality.co. We also have an Instagram page just at Impact Mentality. Um, you can also follow me on my personal LinkedIn, which is just Natalie Risa, which I'm sure will be spelled out somewhere. Um, <laughs> For sure. And then, 
And then also my um, personal Instagram, which is Natalie Riso as well. Um, so those are the main areas. And then if you want to follow Studio 71, um, we're at Studio 71 US on Instagram. Awesome. Are there any last thoughts you'd like to share with everyone? No, I mean, I think that the main thing really um, that sort of I talked about, um, not only from the college to sort of full-time transition, but just kind of in life in general, like really understanding your priorities and also understanding like failure is a necessary part of the process and becoming okay with that has been one of the most liberating aspects of sort of my transition. So I just kind of, you know, say you know, kind of go and do that and um, be okay with, you know, whatever kind of comes your way and be fluid. And once again, a huge thank you to Natalie Riso for sharing her story on rejecting the hype around college dropout entrepreneurship. To connect with Natalie, Impact Mentality, and Studio 71 on social media, you can find the links in the description box of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Rise Regardless podcast, and be sure to subscribe to join us in Rising Regardless.